Welcome everyone to the U Experts Podcast, Episode 5. I'm Jason Moore, and I'm here alongside Effie Risho. Hello, Effie. Hi, Jason. And we also have a special guest, Jane Greenwood. Hello. Hey. Uh, Glad you're here, Janie. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Be here. Yeah. So as Effie and I have been talking through the last couple episodes, so if you haven't listened to episode one through four, go go ahead and listen to some more UX-specific topics. But we started thinking about who could we bring in that both of us enjoyed working with in the past, who has respect for UX, but is also not a part of UX directly. And that list grew very, very short, very quickly. And Janie's name bubbled up to the top. And so we reached out and said, hey, Janie, would you like to come talk to us for a little while? Yes, absolutely. And she said, yes. So maybe just kind of start with, Janie, give us a little bit about your background. how you got into tech and how did you end up here today? Well, and maybe like what you're doing now, because actually I don't even know your current title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just like the definition of my career. Does that right? matter? Yeah. She's okay. a leader. I'm well, a leader. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of doesn't matter. No. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah. Who's Janie? Yeah. So uh, let's see. Janie is someone who started pretty organically in code. Yep. Um, I was working uh, in sales at an outdoor gear company at the time, and um, I remembered at some point someone had shown me the layout of a website, like the file structure of what that looks like, mm-hmm. and I somehow got the boldness to say, yeah, I can build a website and do this, and so I was talking to the owner of this company at the time. He was like, oh, we need to get our inventory online. This was like before templates. It was before Stack Overflow. It was a long, long time ago. And uh, I just told him, yeah, I can build an e-commerce website. I can do that. And I just sat down and got some books from Barnes and Noble and uh, taught myself PHP, JavaScript, CSS, HTML. I was working with APIs. It was just all by myself. Um, And then from there, I went to more uh, proper software companies with backcountry.com. From there, I worked with Workiva with the two of you. So I got a chance to kind of also see that side of the house. A um, couple steps later, um, I am an engineering manager now, and okay. I uh, work with a couple engineering companies. I primarily gravitate to uh, platform teams. Okay, it's typically been my specialty. Um, I do love, love, love working with product teams, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of like the hot, hot summary. So you're not working with UX anymore. Um, not as closely. No, I think when I, I in my career, I shifted over to Auth zero. And now I'm at a company that does uh, data management for healthcare. So I'm in okay. that space. So a lot of backend heavy stuff. You miss, we'll be, you miss us. I do. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have one UX designer for uh engineering team of maybe 40. So, right. oh, yeah. Yeah. Really different. Lucky, lucky them. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have to bite them on its own board. And that's great. We'll yeah. definitely get into uh, some stories where our paths cross. But going back to that, you know, period where you you were kind of challenged to work on this website that I'm guessing you just kind of faked it until you made it. Mm-hmm. What drew you to t- technology? Yeah. Um, it honestly was the idea of troubleshooting. So for me in writing code and and solving problems, mm-hmm. that primarily felt a lot like working on like a an engine or a car, right? Like I'm going to tweak something, try it, see if it works and then go forward from there. And I think it just resonated with me in that way, that it was this thing that I could build and I would do it until 2 a.m. I work 16 hour days. What? 2 a.m. I'd fix a bug and like raise my arms and celebrate and like no one's around, but like that never diminished the glory for me. And so I think that's where like it started to really tick for me that I was like, oh, this this technology thing is something that I like doing. Yeah, the satisfaction of seeing a problem, being able to solve it and getting that instant feedback loop. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, You know, question I think that we'll ask you and all future guests. If you weren't in technology, what would we find you doing? Um, That's really difficult to say because I, in my career prior to going into software, I was, I've been a welder. I've been a gourmet chocolatier. I've been a private chef. Like official, official welder. 
Um, yeah, I worked at a welding shop. Okay. <laughs> okay, not just like playing with the Oh, yeah, no, no, there yeah. were limitations. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to weld anything that someone could see or that had to actually okay. hold weight. So, like, yeah. there was, there were a lot of limitations. But I did get to to fabricate alongside of some amazing welders. Right. So it was it was awesome. super fun. So um, I would see many, many things. Um, and I think uh, small engine motor mechanic is on the list next. So, yeah. That's interesting because there's a lot of like the Venn diagram of, of Janie's influences. You see like small motor mechanic, chef. You see all these different things where like there's a problem. You have to fabricate something. You get that feedback loop and you see that instant result. Yeah, correct. And anything that has to do with process or figuring out how to make things more efficient, I've always gravitated to those things yeah. more naturally. I really have a knack for system design and understanding where people need to be or where things need to be in order for things to flow. So so that's kind of been the, the I would say, guiding star for North Star for yeah, your career. Really so. interesting. Yeah, because... I think when our time overlapped at Workiva with both Effie and myself, you know, you were you were serving as a delivery manager. Was in the agile process. Yeah. The here scrum master, delivery manager, and yeah. and it's cool to see you back in the engineering manager space. But even delivery management, it's like, yes, there's a problem to solve. We need to get that feedback. We need to stay on schedule. We need to understand what the objectives are that we're gonna meet and then and then move forward from there. Yeah. And so yeah, being able to to work with you was always a ton of fun and <laughs> was yeah <laughs> we had a blast I, I, yeah i was thinking about it I, you know when effie and i were talking you know, it was like yeah you know J janie who is also located in bozeman yeah. alongside with us uh you know we would always joke it was like part of the original bozeman mafia group right we we borderline mafia yes yeah. it's very accurate right. Actually, it was it was and it was a lot of fun because I mean, that's why I moved up here. So yeah. I mean, that was that's why we did these things. That was a really, really fun time. I feel like we did so much work so fast and it was so dynamic. That was the people that we had there at that time. It was it was a real special place. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So in your current role today, working with platform teams, you know, what what just kind of describe like what's a day in the life like? Cause I know like even today getting set up for this podcast, you know, we, we had a couple of hiccups and speed bumps and uh, things that we had to reschedule and that that's all cool. But what does it look like to be an engineering manager for a platform team in a, in a company? Yeah. Um, I would say it depends on where that company is in the development of their platform. So okay. I think what's been really enlightening to me in my career is watching companies grow from that startup mode where the thing that you needed to do was get as many customers as possible in whatever shape or form way that you could and to get that revenue or to get that logo to make that sale. And then eventually every company kind of grows and does this curve into let's platformize this hodgepodge of work. You gotta make sense of all this stuff that we just built. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like we need to be able to scale yeah. this. We have to sell this and we need it to be tested and reliable and, you know, all these other principles that kind of come into play. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, I usually work with companies who are looking to transition into that or have recently transitioned into that and then want to do more. I think where Kiva was in mm -hmm. that space too, right? right? Where we were looking at becoming like a grown-up company. And that meant that uh, we were, I like to refer to it as like a company's um, kind of like teenager period where ours right. and legs have grown so big, but we don't quite know how to walk yeah. normally. Like that's kind of that growth period. Yeah, I think so, that awkward teenage phase. It, yeah, it resonates in this space for sure. Yeah, so in that there is day-to-day -day a lot of change. There's okay. companies that are learning how to build new muscles around planning typically. Mm -hmm. um, there's usually uh, a scale element to that where you've got more and more people involved in the pool with different opinions. That's a big part of that too. So figuring out how to navigate all of those kind of nuances of growth as you're also trying to accomplish goals and publish roadmaps and let your stakeholders know what you're going to do. Um, I think it's a lot. It's a lot of moving parts, a lot of plates that you're spinning. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I know, you know, especially for Workiva, their growth happened so fast and there was so much adoption. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we have to platformatize i think i'm gonna make that word up for <laughs> today's right. podcast we have to we have to create re these reusable components and it wasn't even at that time we weren't even really thinking about 
external partners. And I don't think there's anything confidential about what we're saying, but it was more about how do we make our internal engineering teams move faster with these reusable components? So in your current role now, are you dealing more with internal users or external partners, uh, public facing APIs? What what does that platform situation look like? So I would say that any leader, no matter the stage of growth in an organization, you should always consider all of those aspects, mm-hmm. right? So we we obviously have to uh, help customers who are giving us money, mm-hmm. right, be happy and build a product for what they want. Job, job always, we all need a paycheck, right? Like yeah. you know, that's part of it. But I, I think too that when you build a really great organization, there is this element of this team is my customer. And so I need to treat them like that, right? I need to componentize my work. I need to be a good steward of my work so that I can create a wonderful space so a team can move in and out of the code that I'm writing very smoothly, very efficiently, right? And I think that there is such a really cool ecosystem when you open it up to consider your customer being both internal and external, right? I think that there's a real healthy piece to that as companies grow. So. Is there a process that you go through to determine that persona and how do you map out and understand the needs of both the internal and the external user? Um, you know, it, I wouldn't say that there's a, a defined process. I yeah. think a lot of times we just read the landscape of of the team dynamics that we have in the moment mm-hmm. and we do what's best in that situation. Um, I think that setting up things like boundaries of like, this is mine and this is yours. And oh, guess what? Here's where we co-collaborate together to make really good things. Um, I think that really helps a lot. I do do a ton of coaching in one-on-ones to say, hey, this is what stewardship means. And this is how you can enable that in your day-to-day. So you almost kind of change the narrative in your one-on-ones as an engineering manager to say, this is about community. This is about collaboration. This is about engineering working together as one to get something done, right? And it might mean that you have to have some hard conversations, but we don't avoid those. We we hit those head on right. always. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. What, what do you find most often are the challenges when you, when you try and create that sense of community, especially it being in, you know, quote unquote, big tech, amongst these different companies, what what are common pushbacks that you're hearing from people that maybe don't want to adopt that kind of mindset? Yeah. And how do you overcome it? Um, you know, the most common thing that I think that I hear uh, really roots in fear, for fear for a leader, fear for um, a, a, an engineer, mm-hmm. or, or an IC, right? A general individual contributor. So um, someone who has their legacy space and they mm-hmm. feel super comfortable there and they don't necessarily want to move. They don't want to let others in. They struggle to collaborate. I think oftentimes what we see is imposter syndrome will kick in at that point and that people tend to isolate or step back um, instead of leaning into that culture of collaboration and communication. And I think mm-hmm. that ultimately kind of coaching that this is a safe place to step out. This is a safe place to fail. Um, that really has made the difference, I think, for a lot of individuals to make that turn. And so it, it's very emotional, though. It's human, human stuff you're dealing with. This is a process stuff. How, how do you build that kind of safe environment? Because I know a lot of times people are reluctant to to say they failed or to show they failed. And, you know, it just looks bad on them and on everyone. Who wants to fail? Right? Like, nobody wants to. Scary. But it does happen. Yeah, especially when it's connected to your job. Your job is connected to your salary. Your salary is connected to paying your mortgage and feeding your kids, right? All those things are elements that you have to take into consideration. So, um, you know, I think that like part of what uh, I try to do, and and I think a lot of this happens in in different places. So in one-on-ones to talk about uh, uh, thank you for your work and and really telling someone in a one-on-one, I've got you. I am your manager. I've got you. And I think that that's a really, you know, special thing that we can tell them. Um, I think also as an organization, we need to elevate and get curious about failure and celebrate failure. So the more that leaders ask the question, what did you learn today? Um, And then celebrate that. How did you fail today? Right. So I think when leaders kind of start to ask that those questions and celebrate, it's it's much better. I I, I will say, you know, just a, a recent experience I had, I was trying to get people to 
to share some of the, the challenges they're facing on in this certain area. And I, I opened it up for a conversation and I made the mistake as the, the leader in the room who was initiating your conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But don't try He's a good job. But the mistake. Talking no, 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 no. Yeah. This is a bad story. I <laughs> made the mistake of, of initiating it by saying, so this is an example of like doing this well. Yeah. And then everybody, when they started sharing things, they were, it was all about doing it well. And I was like, shoot, if I just started by saying, here's an example of how, how crappy I did this one time and, and how this was really bad. And then I think everyone would have been more open to being like, yeah, man, I had the same kind of experience. Our mind was even worse. But like, it, it, you know, I set the tone and I was regretting it so much afterward. And I, and I wondered about what you were saying about like, how do you yeah. help people to be engaged at that level to be like, you know, I, I, I was talking to a director of development and uh, recently he was, I was telling him about this and he said, he likes to get his group together on, on every other Friday to do failure Fridays. Oh, that's amazing. Where people talk about what they what they failed at in the last two weeks. Wow. And and I was like, are you kidding me? That's a very trusting group. Yeah. Like, well, what he said. I'm not even sure I could do that right now. <laughs> what he said was, what he said was that, that it actually is really hard for some people to get into it. But once they do. Right. The, the thing is, especially for developers, you can imagine, like, if you're, if you don't come forward with, you know, right. admitting things that you don't know or that you've been sick or whatever, then you end up with like, Instead of taking an hour and just asking for help, you take two weeks and you don't do a good job, you know, like right. things slip. That's interesting because I was thinking like as a side note, I, I think the the longer I go in my career, the longer I observe other peers in their career, the harder it becomes to admit those failures. You know, like, you know, it's really funny, like when, you know, I've started intern programs at the last few places I've been a part of. And one of the questions I will always ask an incoming intern um, is tell me about a time you failed either previously at school or in life mm -hmm. and what happened. Mm -hmm. And there have been a number, most people will kind of, you know, come up with something pretty quick that will make sense and they'll be pretty transparent about it. But the number of people who kind of give me the confused coyote look about <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? Now I'm here to succeed. That's all I do is win. Yeah. Um, it really kind of caught me by surprise, but it's a really, it's a very transparent question to ask someone because if you want to work with an intern or an individual contributor, incoming manager or a leader in a company, and they can't observe their own faults that kind of begins to become a red flag. Yeah. And, and it, and it is, it, it tells a story. And it's like, wow, if you, you know, give them 30 seconds, that's fine. You know, sit and think about it. And usually school will bring out something. Um, everybody has, you know, something to do with school. But they'll typically come up with something, a narrative that they can actually point at themselves. And often it'll take a little bit of prompting. Like, no, it wasn't about, you know, people on a project or your boss who failed you. Tell me about what happened with you. And I think about that even in my own leadership style, as I think about different failures I've kind of endured, I can always begin to trace back like, well, if I would have done this other thing or take ownership of this particular part, mm -hmm. maybe things would have turned around and, and, and would have went a little bit better. And so that's yeah. a yeah failure Friday. It's mm -hmm. interesting now. I don't know if you guys have seen this in as a pattern in our industry, but I feel like the moment you get a director level title or above, that whole we're here to grow your career and help you learn, right. that's out the window. That's not actually on the table. It's, part, like, it's perfection. It is. It's perfection yeah. at this point. It really is. Yeah. It's like, hey, VP of whatever, yeah. we have this problem. We're going to give you six months to fix this or you're out. Right. right. And so I think that what I have seen is that VPs come in they institute the process they know worked from wherever because their time is short. It's a point of time to, yeah, totally. And then they start to implement these things without having read the room, right? So I think sure. as leaders, like CEOs of companies, I think we need to be more open to that, that like, hey, there is going to be this exploratory time where someone gets to fail and learn. And mm -hmm. I think that that it does, it goes all the way up, but we have to support it all the way up. And I'll, I'll just add, and I don't want to go too far down yeah. this one, but I think the higher up you go, the less amount of time yeah. exists for yeah. you to do that because the numbers are higher. And, 
you know, as I'm kind of in between roles at this current point in my career and I'm looking for things, I heard something really interesting on, there was a statistic on LinkedIn and we're talking about remote work and interviewing and other things. And it basically said, you know, a company that hires you is looking for a times four return on what they're paying you. Sure. And I was like, wow, and that kind of puts things in perspective, yeah. which maybe adds to why that pressure is so high. Yeah. And if you have a really good playbook, that's awesome. Yeah. But if it's needs a little bit of maturing. But what playbook has ever crossed companies successfully? You know what I mean? Like they're very rare. I yeah, think principles. Like, principles. Principles. Principles are a really good thing. Yeah. But when you're on a time frame, it, it changes, right? The dynamic kind of changes. And right. Yeah. Thus the freedom to fail right. changes and then the culture kind of changes. And, and it's so hard to, you know, like you said, read the room, but like how, it's so hard to do that when you're brand new at a company. You don't know the tech stack. You don't know the people. I mean, maybe you know on paper the tech stack, but you don't actually know how people are interacting with it and what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think I, your your point earlier about imposter syndrome, man, that's why we got down this this rabbit hole. Yeah. I, I'm curious just to you know get a little more from you. I know you've thought a lot about this and and yeah and how to kind of bridge past this kind of dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, so in my, in my experience, I think imposter syndrome has really come from, um, this kind of judgmental attitude around asking questions and it's linked to that failure concept, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm afraid to ask a silly question in a public channel because someone may admonish me for, for reaching out and asking a silly question. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that like there's hyper awareness around that in our industry, but it's interesting after you've been in this industry for a while and you've worked at multiple layers in a company, imposter syndrome is at every layer of the company. I've seen it in VPs. I've seen it in staff or principal engineers. I've seen it in everybody exhibits it in some way, shape or form. And I think that it's a unique thing. How you deal with it is completely unique to each individual. Um, but I think that like for me personally, when I feel imposter syndrome and I feel it all the time, <laughs> like it definitely is a thing. It's almost like my subconscious puts on this really heavy overcoat on a hot day yeah. and I don't even notice it happened. It yeah. just is yeah. on me and it's, it's awful and it feels gross and I have to stop for a minute and go, oh, I got to take this thing off and just set it aside. Wow. Keep working, right? But you noticed it. That's oh, the key. Yeah. You noticed it. Is that, it is, that, is that heavy coat because of a, a situation or pressure to meet expectations? Or like, where does that, where does that metaphor, this heavy coat, which I'm sure everyone's like, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. Totally. What brings that on? A lot of different things. Okay. It could be I'm working alongside an engineer who knows their stuff and I'm yeah. intimidated by them. Yeah. Could be I've got a client who needs something on a deadline and I'm uncomfortable about it. It could be that I'm still learning a code base and I, I'm not super comfortable speaking to it yet. Sure. And then that will come on. I think it for me, it was more about observing in my body what were the indicators to say, you're in this space, kiddo, you're feeling imposter syndrome, you need to take this code off and just set it aside. Mm -hmm. um, because really, the only thing that matters is results in the work that we do. Yep. And and in that, I, I can sing, right? I know I have it. So I have to just set those things aside. It's okay that they're there. My subconscious may put it on again. Yep. I'm not going to try and get rid of it. I'm just going to try and push past it to deliver something because mm -hmm. that's that's been my true value, right? Is creating great things for for people. So, that's my personal. Do you have yeah? Do you have any like? Do you have coping mechanisms? Do you? I mean, you, it sounds like you're pretty self aware. Like I'm feeling this thing come on. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm in a spot I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. I need to deliver value to this company. Yeah. Whether it's meet a deadline, ship a feature, keep an engineer from leaving, wh whatever the situation. What what are some things that you do, especially as you know, you, you know you're in a remote role, and how how do you go through that process of understanding it's coming? This is what I'm going to do to deal with it, and then here's how I'm going to keep moving forward to be successful. Yeah, I I make a lot of lists. <laughs> I'm a do you? List are you a list yeah. person? Yeah, yeah. I, I, like physical or digital? Physical. I tried doing digital, and I went back and forth between physical and digital, and I eventually landed on like. Uh, a legal pad. I use a piece of okay. paper every day. Gets a, a note, but it's a list that's also grouped into categories of like 
similar things. So I'll create lists for Christmas. Yeah, I'm a list maker. Wow. It really helps my brain unload that so I can focus on what it is that's directly in front of me. So it's like clearing that stage to allow just one actor to come on, yeah. right? Yeah. And so having a system for managing how to not multitask, I think is really important for me personally. I think building a network of individuals who give you a space to be vulnerable, right? So have individuals who are like, hey, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling insecure about this. They can give you advice and put you in a place where you can fail, mm -hmm. right? And do that that normally. I also, and this is very, very huge for me, I am I take a lot of naps. And deck, not even joking. <laughs> naps are like, like Dean Ritz style naps. I don't even know what that is. Just throw it. Well, we all know Dean, and we love him. And I, think, all, I, I do. I I definitely take a Dean Ritz nap. Um, I'm a post lunch, twenty minute nap. Oh yeah, I believe that this should be socially acceptable yes. in our society. It's completely appropriate. It is completely appropriate. I when my head physically feels heavy. That is an indication that I need to nap. I need to get into REM as fast as possible, let my subconscious yep. process that, and then I need to get back to work. And yep. inevitably, every time that yep. works for yep. me. Yep. So I think yep. figuring it out makes sense. I, I'm with you. I, I, you laughing. My full my full confession. I, I actually, I don't have as much as I used to, but I took a nap today. I got my 20 minutes in. I did. Yeah. Uh, I had a, I had thirty a thirty minute break and I was like I'm exhausted yeah like my brain can't handle it anymore I'm just I felt overwhelmed I was like I need to lie down and sure enough twenty five minutes later I was like feeling great and I was energetic for the next meeting so I think uh, you know I'm with you I will also confess since I'm confessing that I have I've dealt with imposter syndrome many times over sure. the years I think it's I mean I've I've heard I've read whatever I've come across that it is prevalent with with women more than men but i think it's prevalent with everybody everybody 100 percent. yeah it's up. um you know you just question you know what am i really the who, who am i yeah. to be making this big decision or like you know telling this person who's incredible what they should be doing and it's like you know like this incredible math genius and who's just got this brain that goes you know light years beyond mine and it's like so you know Here's some basic ABCs of math that you need to do with your planning, you know, to make to make it better. And they're just like, okay, you know, you're sitting there going, who am I to tell them this, you know? <laughs> but you know, I'm seeing a different angle than them, right? And uh, you have to just remind yourself. Yes, you, you know, you're valuable in the room. I don't think I've ever come across really any any peer, respected peer, or leader who hasn't faced some level of imposter syndrome on. Not the daily. I mean, otherwise, I think there we would we would suffer more paralysis to to make these decisions. But yeah, I, I think anybody who gets put into position to to make a call that will affect several teams or individuals to look inward and say, "Why is this on me? And do I know the right thing to do?" And I think your idea of making those lists those are excellent guardrails as a way to understand. This is how I go through that process. You know, I, I think about, you know, different frameworks that we can all use, but your your process of making that list, the first thing I heard was you're you're getting rid of that energy outside of your body and say, I'm gonna push this off for right now and I'm gonna put it over here so I can go focus on this thing right here mm -hmm. and deal with it, I think is really smart. And you know, and I I I, I didn't know you were going to say physical list, but that makes a lot of sense. I have one and I hate physical lists because the minute you go to the next day, they're gone. Like, I don't know like how to pull them back up again. They don't archive. I can't search them. Um, but for me, just writing it down is like that active exercise of getting that away from what I'm thinking about right now allows me to help kind of refocus and reset everything. Well, it's really interesting, too, because that's really tied to brain science, right? Of like that your your brain can only handle so much. Yeah. There's like so many calories required to run it, right? I think that the imposter syndrome, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, but it's also a signal to you, right, for your body. So to me, imposter syndrome means my brain wants to keep me safe, right? So my brain is like my throttle, my break back. So when I feel like I'm stepping into the unknown, that makes me feel unsafe. And the one thing my brain wants to do for me every day is to coddle me and pull me back and keep me safe, right? Like that's 
just biology. Kind of fight or flight, right? Almost. Yeah, it's really, really similar. So my brain is constantly looking to sort, organize, and keep safe, right? And that will oftentimes not serve me at work in a position where I need to set that aside. Right. Right? So my brain's actually interfering with the work that I know I can do, that I have the confidence to do. So having techniques where I can say, all right, it's not personal. My brain's just getting in the way. I just got to take this and figure out a way to kind of set it aside sure. so I can keep safely moving forward, right? It's it's just your brain trying to keep you safe. I think that's that's fair. I think that's, that's totally that's fair. That's fair. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On its own. Yeah. Have you noticed an increase or a difference with imposter syndrome with your team or yourself being both on site versus virtual? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's huge, right? We've all kind of experienced the... I don't want to post in a public channel because I don't want to make noise, mm -hmm. right? And I don't want to disturb anybody. That I think that's super common. Something I would say to you at a copy machine, <laughs> I could walk over to Effie's desk. Yes. I could walk over to Janie's desk. I could have a conversation, mm -hmm. keep it very, you know, to the point, yeah. go about my business. I think now is greatly accelerated by just, yeah, Slack for all of its benefits. And it does a lot of things really well. Yeah. It is very noisy. But in that comparison, that exact same situation, I assume, Jason, this is not too far of an assumption, yeah. you are a grown adult. Right. Yes. Yeah. If I come to your desk and want to talk about something and you're busy, what are you going to do? Probably ignore you and look. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> like, not yeah. now. Yeah. I don't have time for you yeah. right now. Right? So- why in the remote world am I now responsible for how you manage your time? Why am I holding back the thing that I would say because I don't want to bother you? Like that's an interesting shift, I think, yeah. in in the remote world. I think it's really common. So again, like coaching individuals, they're like, hey, you're not responsible to help anyone manage their time. They're mm -hmm. grown adults. They're responsible to do that on their own. When you don't post in a public channel, the disservice of not building shared understanding mm -hmm. all the time, constantly, that, that's huge value lost when you're not doing that, right? So I think understanding those nuances of, of remote culture is something we have to constantly keep an eye out for, so. Well, we're all learning together. I think it's, it's uh, you know, to recognize, you know, I went through a, a downtime mm -hmm. uh, where I was really struggling with, wow, am I really going to be remote? working the rest of my life like I really really don't like that compared to being around real people like not that people aren't real online but <laughs> yeah but no I did yeah I mean I, I think everyone you know, clearly we're all extroverts and that face-to-face -face contact is right yeah well in, that, in this particular room yes but 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 the, the fact is we all have to learn this we it's a new thing our whole culture and I do worry about the the younger generation I see coming in and you know I mean, the three of us grew up in a generation where you don't think twice about getting on the phone and calling somebody. And I've noticed with this younger generation, they will not just call you and they might message you uh, if they want to talk to you. And most of the time, they may not do nothing and just try to figure it out themselves. Oh. And 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 so there's that that sense of just like, oh, we'll just pick up the phone or let's just have a quick video chat, which I had two of those today where I just was like, hey, let's get on a quick call and talk about this face to face, you know, like, and, right. and, and, you know, I think that sense, I think is, is, that's a cultural thing. We've got to somehow, I don't know if we need to keep it, but we need to like figure out how to reinvent ourselves in this remote world. I have thoughts on this. Um, and I, I've slowly implemented this in okay. my day to day with my teams. I believe, and you're going to call me crazy because I want to talk about like feelings and intuition. Yeah. I think when someone does that, when they isolate, they're working, working, digging down the funnel, I think they get that shoulder tap of intuition where they're like, hey, buddy, you should stop here. You should definitely stop and come up for air. And what we do is we just dismiss it. We just say, nope, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we taught individuals to listen for, that shoulder tap, that intuition of come back up for air, time to collaborate, I think we can build a natural balance between doing both, right? Of that independent work versus the collaboration that's also required to deliver a great product. So I, I do believe that there's something there that we can teach something active that people can observe. Yeah. I mean, what 
So what are some of the milestones or guardrails that you have for your team where you might say, this person hasn't come up for air. I haven't observed this. They've been under the water a long time. Should I check in? Should I not? Should I let them keep going? They're, you know, we all have known very high functioning individual contributors who will just crush whatever they need to get done for hours, if not days on end. Mm -hmm. We certainly don't want to disrupt that. So what are some of the signs that you see with people where you say this might actually be an early warning sign? Yeah, it's usually their their peers who are going to let me know first. It's okay. like, hey, this person, it's usually happening in like maybe more junior individuals too, where they, uh, my peers will come to, or their peers will come to me and say, um, I haven't heard from this person. I'm worried about them. It comes from like a real genuine place of worry from mm-hmm. their peers. Of, yeah. I think they're spending too much time heads down, right? As a manager, you look at that as just a, a signal, right? In, in an ocean of many signals yeah. that you can get, like any kind of feedback should be. Um, so I'm going to start digging in and see how often they're coming to meetings. How often are they participating? What's their calendar maybe look like? What's their calendar look like? How often are they on Slack, right? Is it completely private? Yeah. For me, that always feels like, what's going on? I mean, I want to respect privacy and I'm, I'm someone who wants to be transparent. I'm going here. I'm going here. I'm going here. I have a personal appointment that's going to be, you know, private. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, when I look at someone's calendar and it's just blocked. Yeah. It, maybe I'm raising my hand and saying, hey, how's everything going? Is is something happening at home or, you know, because, yeah, the last two places I've been, all the, the entire team's been remote. And it sounds like yours is. Oh, yeah. So I love remote work. So I, everyone's where I, I gravitate. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I, th- I think you're right there. Those are like there are these telltale signs, these signals. A good manager will look across the suite of those signals and identify a root cause, right? So a manager with less skill would go in and say, hey, open up your calendar. It needs to be public, right? That's actually the problem. Yeah, that's not the problem. You're making me look bad not being at this team meeting. (laughs) You're solving the wrong problem, basically. So a good one will check the suite and you're probably identifying that this individual has maybe, you know, gone too far deep down the well and needs to come up for air more. So then you just Mm -hmm. engage in your one-on-ones those conversations for me typically are going to look like, uh, I want to give you enough work that you feel fulfilled, you feel challenged, but not swamped. How are you feeling on that gauge? You tell me, right? Are you feeling fulfilled? Are you feeling overwhelmed? I'm not seeing you interact. I'm not seeing you collaborate. Here's the risk that happens when you don't collaborate, right? So you're going to kind of open their eyes to this other world, this yeah. other place of being where we create shared understanding. We collaborate in balance with working individually. It can be done. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Super fun. One. My one-on-ones are super fun. I can <laughs> only imagine. No, that's I'm sure awesome. they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, the person could be mad about it. Like, oh, I'm getting called out and they want me to be, you know, the, the wrong response is, oh, my manager wants me to be in this meeting. No, no such thing. The right well, response no is, response my manager is actually checking in to see how I'm Yes, yes. What's interesting, and I, I've been thinking about writing an article about this too, like when an employee gives you emotion, mm-hmm. the hardest thing for a manager to do is remain judgment-free to say, yeah oh, this is just a feeling that they're feeling. This is a signal that they're giving me. Most of us, including myself, will create, create, or treat that like a giant sticky ball that they just throw me through me. And all I want to do is give it back to them or right. fix it, right? Or like judge it. Like mm-hmm. I think those yeah. things are, yeah. Compartmentalize that. You don't that away. I got a solution for you here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think that it's really difficult when emotion shows up in a one-on-one or in our day-to-day work to to remain in a judgment-free space right. it, it requires a lot of intention on a manager's part yeah, yeah. no it is, it is so important to get to know your direct reports yeah. as much as you possibly can or as much as they will trust you which again is building those relationships mm-hmm. and um yeah there is you know i thinking about team members that i've been able to manage and, and help grow in their careers uh you know what comes to mind who would probably put in 60 hours in four days. I mean, he would really just work nonstop. But maybe they're not showing up till 11 a.m., but they're working until 8 p.m. I'm not, because I have other things I got to do, including family. And then, you know, I would recognize and, and fairly quickly institute a policy where it was like, every other week it was like, you're, you're taking Friday off. I mean, just, 
you're meeting expectations, you need to unplug. And that's what they needed. Yeah. Because they were putting in so much at the front that, again, that well metaphor is so appropriate. They had to come back up for air. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find too, when you coach people that they, that's often a, a coaching point they need of like, please take vacation. Please just go have some time away. Yeah, like, I feel like I could. Absolutely. I mean, I think that. that's probably one of the greatest <laughs> causes of imposter syndrome. Might be. Yeah. yeah. Or a symptom. And I don't, yeah. Sim- yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, me personally, I don't like unlimited PTO because I don't actually believe it. Um, but then you get other people, companies we've worked for where you, you just accrue so many hours and it's like, well, at, at some point it's like the national deficit, like the number means nothing. <laughs> I could take it. I've, I've got 300, you know, hours off and you know, I'm going to do something and you know, you're obviously not going to take off the rest of the year, but you know, to go, be able to go to your manager and say, Hey, I, I have these hours. I'm meeting expectations. Can you help? Basically what they're asking is, can you help give me the confidence to take this amount of time off and enjoy it, whether it's every Monday or every other Friday or whatever that situation is, so that I don't feel like I'm being judged for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually the problem with unlimited PTO. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's several yeah. thing type companies where people are like, yeah, I have unlimited PTO, but I never take it because you're you're constantly judged for it and, yeah and i think it's the manager's job to say no you are doing a great job yeah we are going into q4 we are moving into a holiday season we are going to slow down spoiler alert let's yeah maybe it is monday friday through the last two months of the year mm-hmm. come back in january ready to hit some home runs yeah i think that's wonderful that's yeah. that's exactly what those individuals need yeah. and it, it's like you do need a lot of coaching but you're right. This is where that emotion piece comes in too, because when you when you tap into that imposter syndrome, you are gonna run into feelings. You're just going to. Right. So as a manager, you have to really fortify yourself on how to deal with that. And honestly, sometimes the answer can be as simple as, "I don't know what to say. I'm just so glad that you told me." Like mm. Brene Brown, right? Like it's just like I'm yeah. I'm here for this. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. Right. Wow. Now. Yeah. Like, why not just that? I can't even, uh, I, I'm not even ready to process and respond to this. I'm just here with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's awesome. and that's great. let's talk more, right? I think that, that that's an yeah. okay response for a manager. We're constantly programmed to think we have to fix things for others, when in reality, we just really need to support them, which might you know. look like not fixing. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're making me remember is, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever had a, in the recent years anyway, a manager who has, you know, had that kind of, perspective with me, but I do meet with a coach every couple months. And, um, I found that, you know, a lot of these kinds of conversations we're talking about the imposter syndrome and can I really take off three weeks vacation next year? Is this going to be okay? Like, you know, like those kinds of conversations I have with my coach, cause it's like, still feels like a professional relationship. It's not something that, you know, in my right. current situation that, you know, I would think to have with my manager, but like, I think just recognizing we need to have those conversations. We need to have that outlet somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes when I am having feelings, I will prep my boss by saying, okay, get ready. I got feelings. (laughs) Fortify yourself, my friend. (laughs) I would like to deliver this to you judgment free. Are you ready for this? Because they may say no. They might like not be in that moment. But I think that's okay too. So I think it's like a matter of, when you're sort of that mid-level management, right? Being able to do this for others, but then also making sure your needs are met as an individual, as a worker too, that you're getting that same support. And mm-hmm. it's okay to talk about feelings at work. Like, spoiler alert, it's cool. It's human. It's human. And yeah. the more that we do, the more that we can talk about intuition, the more we can talk about imposter syndrome. These things are healthy things to talk mm-hmm. about, right? It doesn't have to derail us. I appreciate you saying this, and I think in some ways you are more mature than I am in this because I, so I, you know, I get, I get, I get hesitant. I mean, I feel like you know, uh, you know, I'm going to be as open as possible with people, and yet, you know, as you're saying this stuff, it's like, yeah, I'm not really that open, you know, like I've got a certain level of openness, but yeah, yeah, I think everyone, obviously, everyone can improve, right? So yeah. yeah, and just because you do something well once doesn't mean that when the circumstances change that you'll repeat with the same level of success, right? So 
it will ebb and flow. And that's also just part of being human. Mm. So there are days that I show up really well for myself. And then there are days when I'm like hiding in the back corner because I just ain't got it. (laughs) You know what you're saying though, you know, one of the things that strikes me is that, you know, I'm in a busy season and I don't know how many people are this time of year, but I don't feel like I, I personally have the mental energy to check in with people and like, oh, how is this person really doing? It's like, we got to get stuff done. Let's go, let's go. And so, you know, I wonder, I don't know, how do you, what do you, how do you bring that spirit to the table, even in the midst of busyness? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like as a principle, whatever I take in excess from someone, I need to give back that same amount. So if I'm going to ask someone to be on call on a Saturday or work longer Friday because we had an emergency come up, as they do, and it's always on Friday, right? I, I feel like telling that person, look, please take Monday morning off or find a day throughout the week to take that back because what you give, we as a company need to also give back. And it's a lot like PTO. We have to move to help make that person accountable for helping protect themselves and, and get the replenishment that they need. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If someone were to say, hey, I got X and X on Tuesday morning, it's like, just take the day. You're good. You're good. You're good. Come back Wednesday. Yeah. Because the last thing I want, and same thing with sickness too. I mean, I'm a huge fan of someone calls me and says, I'm not really feeling that well. Just stop. Yeah. Because I'd rather have you back tomorrow at 100 than for you to slug through the next three days at 70. Oh man, I'm so guilty. Somebody today, somebody today was like, yeah, I'm still nursing this this flu-like symptom. And I'm like, oh, I'm impressed. I said, oh, I'm impressed that you're in the meeting. And I didn't say, just take the darn day off. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that person sounds a lot like me. When I got COVID in 21, uh, 2000, 2021, um, I worked through the whole thing. And I would just, just worked. And I was like, what are you doing? And, yeah. But that's what I need for me mentally was just to get through and, you know, from my perspective, you know, that was a decision I made, but you know, everyone was definitely encouraging me. Like, um, you're sweating on camera right now where you should, <laughs> you know, I'm like full blown fever. Like, what are you doing at work? Um, but that's just my crazy head, but no, letting your people know, like, it's okay. You know, take your kid to the beach or go see the performance or go to the, you know, you know, my kids are getting to a point now where they have all these sporting events and all these different life things that are happening. And it's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to create space for that. Okay. And I hear what you're saying, and I feel like a challenge that I'm dealing with now, I'd love to hear what you're thinking. Uh, I feel like the work from home remote thing and the family dynamic, I feel like sometimes it can go this extreme where I wonder how much work is this person doing? Like, it's like, they're always running around. They can't see my shared screen because they're in the car with their kids. You know, it's like, you know, how, you know, I feel like there's this other extreme where it's like, okay, you know, like, I mean, it comes down to, honestly, I think that's I'm air quotes. I'm air quoting. <laughs> that's on you to make the expectations clear. And it's not somebody I manage that. It, of course. Right. But it, you know, if it's something, well, then it's not a problem really. Right. I mean, that, that it is, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about Jaden and Baggy, Effie's team, my team. <laughs> if, if someone gets to a point where, you know, they're having to do lots of things because of life situations. Okay. No problem. Either excuse them or tell them you'll, you know, debrief them later or, or whatever. But if they're meeting all their expectations in what, or the standards that you've set, like the standards are the standards. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And if you're meeting those, then it's actually, I think that's a sign of imposter syndrome that they feel they need to be on that phone call while their kids are screaming in the back seat or doing whatever, going from point yeah, to point yeah. B, yeah. right? Yeah. Because yeah, no, everyone's dealing with it, you know, and as, and as we're kind of in this, like, maybe not as much in the area we live in, but you know, certainly in the more metropolitan areas, you know, people are starting to return to office. That's completely kind of resetting back to a, a quote unquote, you know, pre-COVID environment. But for for those of us who are, who are here, you know, our kids aren't taking the bus to school, we're driving them, 
we're taking the appointments or our spouse is taking them or, you know, whatever. You just have to manage that. And, and I think the fact that they're calling in is probably a symptom that they feel that imposter syndrome. If I'm not there, mm-hmm. I'm going to somehow be judged for this. It's a signal for sure. I think as a manager. That's a great word. Yeah. You've got to look for those signals and how their behavior are behaving. And then you tie those things together to look for that root cause, right? Because it could be imposter syndrome. It could be because they're working from a place of fear. It could be because they are the subject matter expert that as a manager, we haven't supported more broader understanding of that knowledge. So they actually can't physically be away because no one else knows this information, right? So it could surface in different ways, I think. Um, But I think overall with remote work, what really matters are outcomes, right? So if if I have an individual who is showing signs of multitasking in a really unhealthy way at home, and the outcomes are not matching the standard like you were talking about, mm-hmm. Jason. So if that isn't matching, I'll sit down with them and say, I am seeing this, like a really frank, direct conversation. Outcomes aren't matching. Things are, and this is a huge word that I use as a manager, things are out of alignment, right? That's a really like non-invasive way to call somebody out. I feel like is just say, I'm noticing that you are out of alignment with what we're trying to do. I'm curious as to why. Can you tell me why? Right. And in the most recent uh, occurrence of this, I found out this this individual was like building a new home, which was delayed, had to move in with their parents. And that was delayed. There was construction going on at their parents' place. There was like a baby on the way. Like the list was long. Right. So now I'm not managing work. I'm managing that person and their situation and how to get them what they need in their personal life or to help them find like a a place to work that's maybe more quiet so they can do what they need to do to execute, right? They're all got a tailspin and they don't know how to course correct. And and I think that you you just got to look for those signals, I think, but but it can be done successfully. Uh, And that's a good story. I appreciate that story because you never know what somebody's going through until you, you start you start talking to them and you start digging in a little bit. I'm taking care of two sick parents. Oh, I, I have a kid who is in physical therapy. I, you know, have a spouse that has, you know, yeah. specific needs. We, we all have those stories of people that we worked with. Well, I, and I feel like a total cad because I was was not harsh, but I was a little critical of this shortest one individual. And and then I, I had a sink and they, they started telling me about how their kid was going into these operations and things. And I was just going, I feel like such a jerk right now. Like, and I'm glad I wasn't like overly critical, right? but I was critical. And, um, I guess, you know, I do that. I think, you know, it's just my perfectionism maybe coming through. Well, and I think the question comes down to is like, what, what am I not doing for you that is allowing you to let me know about these things so that we can, we can support you. And I think any good company, when they look at the cost of hiring, training, retaining quality talent, would say, why are you, why have you not found a way to support this particular person in this situation? Yeah. And there are times as a manager that you will run into where it is beyond your care, right? It is beyond your ability where maybe that individual needs to consult a doctor or a professional and and get the help that they need. So it's like at some point you're not going to be able to fix everyone's problems. So there is a balance. And at some point, you also have to balance business needs. We still have to shift, right? So it's like at every stage of these conversations, we're constantly assessing those things, right? But I think when we were working in offices full time, right. we were under this this idea that there was a direct separation of I'm a human at home. And when I came to work, I was super professional, I think that's stupid. I think that never actually existed. I don't think that was a real thing. It was easier to convince ourselves that that was the case because we were physically removed from that environment, right? So actually this remote hybrid work, right, is more true to nature and real life of how we're probably existing as humans. So why not look at this as a new normal and just get good at doing this, right? Like, why not just do that? Yeah, maybe maybe be a little more transparent and uh, and open with one another. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Ask two questions before you make one statement. If I could give any advice to any manager out there, just ask two questions. Just ask two before before you make a statement or judge. 
Yeah, it's helpful. Nice. It's great. Yeah. I'm going to try that. Try it. It's really See if it helps. <laughs> well, all those people who hate me. <laughs> well, I guess we know who's going to be sending emails tonight. Um, you know, Jenny, I think one of the things that you bring to the table that's really unique, instead of listening to Effie and I ramble, not having a background in UX, but being an engineer and being a people leader. I mean, how... How do you, for your seat at the table, whether now or in a previous role, how do you view the role of UX? Because we're, we're here to talk about UX professionalism, helping others to become UX experts. How do you view the role of UX in an organization from your perspective? And and maybe, you know, what are, what are some of the best memories you might have of working with UX when you were like, yes, that worked. And some of the ones where you thought, oh, that was a little painful. We have to deal with egos or missed deadlines or whatever. Like, how do you view UX from your your professional seat? Yeah, um, I would say the the most common thing that I have seen from from UX in an organization is that UX constantly feels like they're influencing from the outside, right? Okay. And this may be also like regard like irregardless of 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 level right of title i think i see it at multiple levels so um i think that getting that out of your head and understanding how important your voice is in the room and to get in there anyway and for me as a manager rev engineers the first thing that i need to do is support ux and go to them and say "Uh uh-uh you're a part of the team you may feel like you're outside today that's not the case we're bringing you in my friend like this is where you belong Right. When I say team, I mean you. You are included in this. So a really great UX contributor will do two things. They often work with product managers really successfully planning the stuff that we know of that's like ahead of us. Right. But they also have a knack for balancing that day-to-day feedback and rapport and relationship with engineers on the team or with just general workers on the team. Could be QA too, Mm, right? Right. So you live in a lot of different places and understanding and seeing someone who can move from one space to another very fluidly and very naturally, that is when UX really starts to shine in a lot of different ways. Sure. That's when you get engineers who are like, I couldn't do it without them. I definitely need them, right? And Mm -hmm. in reality, that is generally the consensus amongst engineers. I cannot do it without them. I need them here with me to help me make this the best experience that it possibly could be, right? I think that I wish all UX individuals had more confidence in that, that you, you belong in this room, step in and make noise. Just start making noise. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so valuable. With Pos- positive noise. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, even negative, like talk, like, you know, like, yeah, and it generates some noise. I think it's fine. Like it's yeah. all positive in the end as long as we're collaborative and empathetic and all those things. And I, and I do think, you know, we've seen the industry come from a, a position of, you know, there was supposed to be a, a triad or tripod or whatever. You it ends up being like five people or whatever. But now, you know, <laughs> it could be four, quad pod, whatever. I'm not going <laughs> to trademark that name. But you think that there's a balance of power. The, the question is, there's the, there's a balance of power and there's no one person in control. And I do think when it comes down to it, I agree with you. I think UX is most likely to be the one who says, I'll sit on the sidelines and submit to an engineer who will overwhelm me with <laughs> technical jargon uh, on why they can't do something. Sure. Which, you know, the feasibility is very important. I think also too, and this has been my observation, is a product manager who views themselves as the boss of the team. Mm-hmm. And you know, while I agree, someone ultimately has to be held accountable for it. That collaboration needed to produce a symbiotic relationship on a team is absolutely needed. And you can't do it without a solid tech lead and a solid product person and a solid designer who can all advocate for their different positions of what is going to ultimately deliver the best value for a company. I would agree with you. When you see a team like that and flow and work is moving back and forth between them, you actually don't need accountability in the room because you have so much collaboration that that overwhelms the one neck to choke. 
Right. Right. Which is what PMs usually are. <laughs> that's a, that's a great. It's, it's sucks. <laughs> yeah. Classic with metaphors. Too. I know. <laughs> you know the work Nick. So we just got like one through. We have, we have all these Instagram rules already like teed up. <laughs> I just gotta get someone to draw the animations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you got someone one throw to show. Yeah. It doesn't matter if what your title is or what your role is. If you have someone in there who's who's swaying the room right. and trying to have authority and say right. that person is probably suffering from tremendous imposter syndrome. Like that is. It is. That's tough. That person's in a, that person is struggling yeah. and you gotta get really curious with that person. That individual usually is the person who needs the most support right. out of anyone. But when we are in flow right. and I'm throwing things back to you, you're throwing things back to me, we're supporting each other, you're out of the room, so I got you and we're gonna communicate later. That actually has a visceral feel to it. A team that does that, yeah. even remote, Incredible you thing. feel that. Like, you it's do. real. Yeah. It's really real. Yeah. So you can move very quickly. You very, very quickly. And you forgive each other. That element of failure is definitely in the room. So anything that you can do as as UX to contribute to that environment, that's what matters. Yeah. And and the trust. You you know, you Inherent in everything you said, there's this deep level of trust that that person is capable and they're they're actually going to do everything they can. And like, you know, like I, I you know, I, re, you know, I had this experience managing someone who did not trust their coworkers. Like this person's not qualified or this person's not working hard or whatever. And I'm like, that was a hard one to to figure out how to improve that because you've got to trust each other or you're just not going to be a good team. Yeah, and I am really happy to see, you know, the amount of on-site visits and team building activities and some of those things to get people together again, because I, I do think there is an element of human interaction that's necessary. So when you go back to your home base, absolutely, because we're all distributed now, you can say, I know this person because I've spent time with them. I've built a relationship. Mm -hmm. and And I think, you know, a lot of that especially for early career UXers um, is needed to be, you are here to represent in some aspect, the voice of the customer and what they're going through. And it's on you to build a relationship with maybe a much more senior engineer to say, I need you because otherwise this car ain't going to go. No. Yeah, absolutely. I have a really good story about that. Actually. I, I was working with a team that, was international and half of the team was from uh, Poland and Italy. Okay. And then the other half was from like more South America, like the Colombia area. And so in that dynamic remotely, I had a lot of engineers from uh, Poland and Italy. Can I swear? Is that? Oh, yeah. it, was like, it was like, they would, they would come to these other <laughs> engineers <laughs> and say, this code is shit. Like, yeah, this yeah. is awful. What if? But in Poland. But in Poland. You always, always, yeah. always, 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 always in English. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Those engineers are amazing. And then the Colombians would have their hearts broken because you would never, you would never call someone out like that. That was that insulting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it was super insulting. And then the they would try and influence in a more indirect way. People yeah. from Colombia. But what ultimately happened is when we got in the room, we went to Argentina. We were we were in Argentina. I know, of course, we were in Argentina meeting at this offsite when everyone's in the same room that nuance comes out you can see the whole person mm -hmm. right and you can kind of understand it more and they started to get really open of like well i say this to you i tell you your code is shit because i care about you so much mm -hmm. and that that's where that and the colombian person might say i didn't realize that yeah or i would never call you out like that because i care about you so much right and right. so that face-to-face -face moment allows you to connect in a way that yep. you wouldn't normally, I think. So if you're going to support a hybrid or remote team, you need to budget regular offsites. And that means once or twice a year as a whole large group and maybe multiple times in smaller doses. So commit to remote work, but you're definitely also committing to traveling. Right. right? That's yeah. And I, I think a lot of our, uh, our friends in the, the finance department love to see the lack of expenses, but that's kept the numbers up, but we do need to invest back in our teams yes. and that, you know, if we're going to invest internationally and um, take advantage of that talent that's in other countries, yeah. you got to pour back into, we're going to bring them to a common place to, 
not just, you know, the people in Poland meeting with each other or the people in Italy meeting with each other, but together. Yeah. And and that is so important. And any offsite that you have, if you walk away from, oh, I get you more, that's yeah. a win. Yeah. And if you also walk away with, I'm so bought into this company mission, double win. Every offsite should be, you should have those two outcomes. We're going to connect as humans and we're also going to get bought into the mission, get super excited. So when I sit down at my desk at home, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'm and, and, and can we measure it? Can we actually measure effectiveness in, yeah. in ultimately releases and revenue for the business? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, spoiler alert, that's what we're here to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Super fun stuff. Love the work we do. Well, Janie, if anyone's looking to follow you, is there any social media channels that you would want to call a shout out for? Or, um, you know, I I don't have much on social media. I okay. don't post because you're busy. You're busy leading teams. And busy leading teams. Right. I've never. I'm not like a content creator. Okay. I I am very much a, a sit down and talk and chat. So. If someone were to hear this and want to know more about what I have to say or thoughts or advice, sure. reach out to me on LinkedIn. Okay. I'm available there and let's like schedule a call or a meeting and and have a chat. Like that's really the the best way that I work is is just face to face. No, listen, that's absolutely great. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think, you know, I'm going to give Effie all the credit on our first guest appearance because when he said it and we talked through it and I said, yeah, because I know Jamie because we've worked together. And we had such great experiences. It was such an obvious choice. Yeah. And so, yeah. If you. please search for Janie Greenwood on LinkedIn. I'm sure there's probably only one. Uh, there's a couple of us. I think uh, there's like a uh, lawyer. There's like a lawyer named Janie Greenwood Harris, and we're constantly in competition. Closer to are you? Are you? See, that's like, good. Gonna ring yeah. <laughs> you know, funny story. Uh, multiple years back, I tried to buy JasonMoore.com, uh-huh. and I met the person who owned it, who's a director in LA. And then he says, yeah, there's another Jason Moore who's a painter in New York City. And so for a long time, obviously not a very unique name, uh-huh. right? We were going to have a Jason Moore convention. No way! All the Jason Moores <laughs> I think together. that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, but it never happened. Well, so. there you go. Well, I, my only story, Effie Risho obviously is 100% unique. But, that's very, but Effie well, Risho is Ephraim very unique. Uh, there is, however, uh, Effie.com, spelled my name, uh-huh. years ago. I don't know if it exists now, but this is like 15 years ago. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to buy this domain name. Now some like rock star in the Middle East has Effie.com. Yeah. I was like, you're well, kidding. Yeah, well, I don't well, know. Effie's the number one nickname for Ephraim. <laughs> Frammy. Frammy's the other option. Frammy's my oh, favorite. Frammy, that's true. Yeah. That's true. That's so what Jason calls me. If you have a baby on the way, public service announcement, Get the domain name and probably I like get gmail.com too because you're probably going to want that also. I'm not going to lie. I bought domain names for all my children. Of course you really? did. Of course you did. And I'm going to give it to them when they turn 18. Oh, it's your <laughs> 18 year old. Isn't that better than a savings account? I own it. Amazing. So, <laughs> uh, well, I think that brings us pretty much up to speed on this uh, lovely fall Bozeman day. Janie, thank you so much thank for. You for having yeah, Coming to talk to him. Oh, super, yeah. super fun. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a while, and here we are, going into 2024. So, Janie, thanks for joining us on this episode of the U Experts Podcast. Please support the podcast by su- subscribing and providing your questions for future episodes, which we're planning to do an AMA. You can send your questions to questions at uexperts.info. As you go out to design your future, let's make it a better one. Ciao.